This is a Federal News Network podcast. Most federal employees tell us you're satisfied with your work situation, but that one day a week in the office requirement, that's sort of a bummer. How do we know? We asked with our own online survey. We found more agencies settling on a hybrid workforce, a mixture of office hounds and teleworkers, but not everyone is happy with that setup. Here with details from the survey, Federal News Network's Drew Friedman. And Drew, how much are they getting up and going to the office right now, according to the survey? Because, gosh, it doesn't seem like OPM knows what's going on. So we saw in the survey that about 60 percent, close to two-thirds of federal employees that answered our our survey currently are working in a hybrid environment. So that's a mix of both in-person and remote work. 33%, so about a third, said they're working entirely remotely. The rest said that they're working entirely in person. So of that majority that is in the hybrid work environment, they're typically teleworking four days per week and going into the office one day per week. That seems to be kind of the biggest trend for most agencies, at least according to our survey. And many of the survey respondents who are in that type of work situation are voicing a lot of frustrations with it. They don't see the reason that they need to go into the office at all. They say that a lot of them are more productive from home and that when they're in the office, they are less productive, they're distracted, and a lot of those frustrations are building up for the employees. Yeah, I can see where they can't really stand to be around those horrible colleagues (laughs) and By the way, we got about 1,000 responses to this, so it's a pretty good sample. We did, yeah. We got about 1,100 responses to the survey, and we saw that, you know, for example, if you're looking at the reasons that federal employees are concerned about returning to the office, most of those, so 90%, said they didn't like the commute. So there's, you know, there's a lot of other reasons, too, why federal employees are not wanting to come into the office, but of It was a sizable amount who did fill out the survey as well. So the biggest concern is the commute itself, or is there something about the office itself that is, besides all those distracting colleagues eating sardines, what is it that's most concerning to them about returning to the office? Yeah, so, I mean, in the D.C. area, you know that traffic is a big issue. That's what a lot of people said. That's their biggest reason they don't want to spend time on the roads going to and from work when they feel like all of their work duties can be performed from home. So that is the biggest reason that people just don't want to go into the office at all or more often. Other reasons that employees said that they don't like going into the office were work-life balance, reduced work productivity. A lot said that they can they feel more productive working from home. And just about 50% said it was COVID-19 safety-related issues You know, it's a mix of reasons, but those are a couple of the top ones. Now, not everyone has the means or the ability or the facilities to work remotely. I mean, there's people that have to be on the job, say, in law enforcement that requires specific placement of a location to be able to do the job. But for those that can't telework, what are they saying, the people that are forced to be at work? I mean, it really just depends on the type of job. So a lot of people who are in the office, I think those who are required, you know, to go in. I guess I kind of understand that that's part of the job responsibility. But of those who can telework or have the option for remote work, some actually say that they prefer going into the office. It's a minority, but there are people out there who say, you know, it's really nice to have those casual conversations and in-person interactions that are a lot more difficult, if not impossible, to replicate in a remote work environment. So there's technology barrier that people are concerned about as well. Agencies have made progress since, you know, the beginning of the pandemic. A lot of people didn't really know 
how to handle remote work. There's been a lot of progress since then. But, you know, for example, one respondent said that lots of informal communication mechanisms that helped with office culture and work going more smoothly simply don't exist in a hybrid or remote environment yet. So it's something that could change in the future. But a couple of people in the survey were were pointing that out as well. Now, the government net population of employees has grown pretty dramatically since the onset of COVID, driven in part by some of the programs launched and just in general, it's gotten larger. Yet people do leave. Did you get any sense of retention challenges based on this survey? Because the numbers don't show people, at least in the Partnership for Public Service, looking at the OPM data, it doesn't show that many people leaving unless they're really young or retiring. Right. So the actual data I it's not clear whether people have actually left in a lot of cases because of telework or whether it was a different reason. But many respondents to our survey, close to 80% said that they would be concerned if their agency started requiring them to go into the office more often. Concern doesn't necessarily lead to someone leaving their job, but it is an indicator in that direction. And in that section on sort of the free responses or anecdotes that people offered, A lot did say that they would start looking for work at another agency or potentially in the private sector if their agency changed up the in-office policy on them and said, you know what, instead of one day a week, we want you in two days a week. People said they would start looking for remote opportunities. So it is a concern for retention there. Yeah, that commute really comes up over and over again. And in this area, you sort of pick your poison. I mean, there's the roads and you know what those are like. The metro is only kind of half operating for the most part. And then you might get on one of those what I call the Soviet-style commuter rail systems that we have here in the Washington (laughs) area. It's no fun either. I've done them all, trust me. And so we have done this survey not that long ago. What has changed relative to the earlier survey that we did? So a couple things have changed. I mean, number one, the the first survey that we did back in the spring, that was... I guess at the time when a lot of federal employees were first starting to move back to this hybrid work schedule and agencies were opening their doors to employees and to the public. So it was kind of in more of a time of change. Now we're, you know, six, eight months later, I guess federal employees maybe feel a little bit more comfortable or feel more in their routine. So they've had time to think about, you know, how does this feel? How do I feel about being in the office versus being remote? So We have seen that shift with people saying that they prefer remote work. But at the same time, that's also been a theme through both of them, that telework is basically the priority for a lot of people. Then to summarize, looking at the results, and you can find them at federalnewsnetwork.com, commuting and work-life balance are pretty much the leading reasons why people don't want to have to come back to the office, or at least not all the time, fair to say. And I think there's a connection between commuting and work-life balance because commuting takes however many minutes, hours a week out of your work-life balance that you're spending in a car, train, bus, metro car, and not at home petting the dog or feeding the kids. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it eats into your free time. And it also, I think some people said in the survey that it causes exhaustion, just having to sit on the road, sit in traffic. So it, it makes sense why it's the number one for sure. And Drew, before we let you go, I'm just looking at the question results, question 12. Overwhelmingly, I mean, more than 70% of the people say they are more productive at home and only, what, 5% said they're more productive at the office. 25% say they're equally productive both places. I guess the question is, is there any objective way of measuring that? Has OPM commented on that? 
what is productivity? How do you measure it? And how can you measure office versus home? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard. It is hard to measure exactly about being productive, just kind of getting your work done in a day or how quickly things can get done um, for certain projects. But overall, I think that this seems to be a growing trend, that consistent trend, at least that people are saying they are more productive at home. That's not to say there aren't people who feel the opposite way. I mean, we've seen Republicans in Congress saying that work backlogs built up during the pandemic because of telework. So there's arguments in both ways in terms of productivity. But from the employee perspective, most are saying, as you said, that they feel like they're more productive at home, mostly because of a lack of distractions, for example. All right. Well, I was always distracted by the refrigerator whenever I try to work at home. So I guess you pick your distractions. But as the old saying goes, that's why they call it work. Federal <laughs> Federal News Network's Drew Friedman, thanks so much. Thank you. And be sure to check out her story at federalnewsnetwork.com. Leadership today, especially within the federal workforce, is being tested more than ever before. After an exemplary career as a former executive at the FBI, focused on policy and strategy, Sasha O'Connell, Ph.D., is guiding future federal leaders as the executive in residence in the School of Public Affairs at American University. Sasha joins host Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, to discuss her exciting career, the future of the federal workforce, and the lessons she's learned along the way. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA, and today I'm thrilled to be joined by Sasha O'Connell. Sasha is an executive in residence in the Department of Justice, Law, and Criminology at the School of Public Affairs at American University and spent the majority of her career at the FBI and most recently as the organization's chief policy advisor, science and technology and the Section Chief of Office and Policy for the FBI's Deputy Director. Sasha, welcome. Jane, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Can you give us an example of someone early in your career that motivated you? And then, and, and how did, what did that look like? Sure, absolutely. So it sounds almost cliche, but it was the dining room table. So I grew up um, with a stepfather who spent 30 years at the Veterans Administration at the VA. And he talked at the dinner table. He started as a social worker and then sort of rose up into management, administration, and leadership. And his stories, right, and his approach really, really impacted me. My mom, interestingly, ended up in a career in public service. She was a prosecutor. She's currently a retired state superior court judge. Um, But she had a big career change also in her 40s. She went back to law school in her 40s. So getting all of that in the mix at a young age at the dinner table really, really impacted me um, in really specific ways. Yeah, that's amazing. My my father was part of um, the generation that took um, President Kennedy's call to action. And he took that to heart, and he went and worked at the Department of Interior and a number of other places in federal service. So it's it's catching when when you're around it. You've held a number of leadership roles at the FBI, which is historically a male-dominated organization. What skills or traits helped you most as you navigated that? It's such a, it's an interesting and challenging yeah. sort of situation and question. One, I don't think I still am reflecting on. I've been out of the FBI about six years and I'm sort of still thinking about it. I think the bottom line was when I was there and I really grew up there. Um, I didn't, I didn't know any different. I grew up with male cousins and brothers, and you know, it was sort of a continuation of, of my existence. So it did, you know, in retrospect, it, it was a really unique situation, but it didn't necessarily feel that way for me at the time. 
I think staying mission focused, staying not about me, staying flexible in terms of problem solving all helped me. I will say there's resources today that weren't there when I was there or certainly when I was starting out. There's a lot of affinity groups for women in national security, women in federal law enforcement. And I will say I think I would have really benefited from access to those kind of resources as I was coming up. Um, I had both incredible mentors, men and women, um, women across the organization who I became very close with who were incredible supports, not just getting the job and starting out, but sort of matriculating through. But again, I'm really sort of proud of and involved in some of the work of those external organizations that bring women across government, um, executive women in government, and those kind of organizations together, because I think it is really, really helpful um, as one moves through. Yeah, we we actually work with a, a number of those too, and and go to their events and conferences and support them because it's important. How has your leadership style developed or changed over the years? Well, I think I've gotten a little more confident in it. Right, the seeds were there at that dining room table. One thing um, that carried through that I learned from my stepdad was to focus on the process. He would talk at dinner about big ideas or big changes and how to get from here to there was part of his day job, something he thought about explicitly, was getting other people on board, getting that stakeholder engagement, getting other people to think it was their idea if that was required. And that's something I started out with as a gift, right, that kind of approach. And then I got confidence in that, and then I added things. I will say, as I moved on, my appreciation for taking care of is maybe the wrong word, but really focusing on the people who work with you and for you in some instances um, you know, making sure that they have what they need to be successful in a tactical way. But then also something I definitely learned at the FBI as I went along is, you know, the importance of creating an environment that is supportive and inspiring. You know, we joke about it, but food has played a pretty serious role um, in my leadership style over time. Um, I learned from great mentors. I worked with Bill Estevez at the FBI who had a full-scale cappuccino maker at his cubicle, right, and would host coffee hour, and you'd see the steam rising across the cubicles. Um, I worked with a a great friend who used to carry hot frittatas for breakfast celebrations on on the metro, right, in one of those sort of coolie bags. Um, And so I've sort of, I think it's been additive in terms of learning, gaining confidence in my approach, and then adding these pieces as I go that I've certainly learned from mentors and colleagues. And clearly you never let anything get in your way. You were mission focused, as you mentioned, and you just got the job done no matter what was in front of you. Well, I wish, I wish, and it was, it was that easy. I mean, I think we had a lot of success. Um, One thing has always been my approach when starting out as a leader, too, is to solve near-term problems. I always say sort of deliver short, and then you can push them long, right? So we don't always succeed in those long-term goals or those, you know, sort of blue-sky ideas as leaders we want to achieve. Um, But we deliver on those short-term pieces, right? And you get that buy-in from the stakeholders. And then often you can push toward those bigger dreams, hopes, aspirations, and goals, um, I would like to say I was 100% on both fronts. <laughs> I'm not sure your characterization is 100% accurate there, but I'll take it um, in, this, in this sense. Looking back, what, what's one piece of advice you might have given your younger self when you first started? Yeah, it's, it's interesting today, too, working with students, I get that chance, right, to give my essentially my younger self um, advice every day. And one thing we talk a lot about, and I wish I had thought more explicitly about, is really, it's about calibration, right? And so I always think Emeril Lagasse would say, like, a stove has dials for a reason, right? It's not like all hot or all cold. 
And I think it's the same here. In some ways in my career, I had to learn to tone it down, right? And to, you know, certainly at the FBI, sometimes you need to take that back seat at a meeting and wait to be invited to the table. And that's really the appropriate way to build rapport, relationships, and trust. Other times, I needed to learn to tune it up, right, to up the volume a little bit. Um, I had a wonderful boss, Dave Schlendorf, who we were in a meeting together with big bosses at the FBI once, and I was working for Dave. And we left the meeting, and we were walking back to the office, and I made a point. I don't even remember what the point was now. And he stopped in the hall and said, why didn't you say that in the meeting? You're not helping me, right? Telling me this now, now I have to go back and fix this. And I realized, so well, sometimes you have to tone it down, sometimes you have to tone it up, and that modulation, that sort of volume control about when to lean in and out, if you will, um, that's, you know, even just thinking about that explicitly for folks starting out, I think is really helpful because it's not one size fits all. Right. I I totally agree and understand that it isn't one size fits all. And a lot of leadership is described in bumper stickers, sayings, and I don't think that's realistic. I think it's situationally dependent and you have to be self-aware and aware of your circumstances to adjust. That's well said. You're training the next generation or helping to train them, federal leaders through AU's School of Public Affairs, how, how do we encourage, how do you encourage young people to answer the call of federal service? You know, I'm so lucky at AU. We, we draw in, right, students who are primed for this um, and who are passionate when they walk in our doors. Even with that population, you know, there, there are headwinds, right? USA Jobs, right? Just even getting educated, these pieces. So, so helping with that is a whole set of work. I'm also really passionate about, as you point out, reaching out to a diversity of folks who haven't even thought about these careers as careers. I had a conversation with a young woman the other day, and she was talking about law school. It's, I'm, I'm fully supportive of law school. And I said, have you ever thought about a career in, in federal service? And she said, uh, isn't that for old people? And I said, uh, <laughs> um, okay. So, you know, I mean, there's an education to do, right? Clearly, she's never seen the softball leagues, you know, down in the mall or kickball or any of the fun we all have in town where we certainly did when we were younger. But I I really try, again, podcasts like this and other venues to put myself out there and really talk about what it's like, the opportunities I had at the FBI to be in the middle of the mission space and to explain that the federal government needs all kinds of skills, right, and diversity of thought, right, and diversity of people. So, So there's that sort of working with the group that's primed for us, and we need to help them get over those barriers, get in and then stay and stay um, engaged and passionate and then there's reaching those new audiences. And there's a lot of work both places, but it's a lot of fun to work with young folks who are passionate about it. So I'm really lucky in my current job. And career civil service is a great path if somebody wants to take it. Our board is 100% SES level career civil servants. They are all dedicated. They have a real passion for what they're doing. They could go work anywhere, but they choose federal service. And there's no place, I always tell young folks who ask me about it, there's no place you're going to get the level of responsibility quickly as you do in federal service, right? And, and yes, yeah, sometimes things move slow. It's supposed to move slow, right? We talk about the reasons for that, too. But there's, there's really no other industry. Maybe some startups you might get this experience, but really where you can be in the middle of mission space, whether you're passionate about the environment or national security or health care, you know, public health, and you're going to get in there quickly, um, and you're going to get in the mix and get exposure, experience, and opportunity for impact that's really unlike any other career. Perfect. Well, thank you, Sasha, and thanks to everyone for listening. I'm Shane Canfield. 
And this has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. Talk to you next time. Reconnect with a carpool or vanpool. Even if you're commuting just a few days a week, Commuter Connections can match you with others that live and work near or at the same place as you. Prefer taking the bus or train? There's never been a better time to reconnect with transit. Plus, you have the added comfort of knowing Guaranteed Ride Home is there for any unexpected emergency for free. For more options, visit commuterconnections.org or call 1-800-745-RIDE. Some restrictions apply. Hi, it's Kristen. Did you know that not doing things is easier than doing them? There's a lot of things to do, especially this time of year. But when you don't do things, there's more time to do things. Does that make sense? What I mean is when you use Shipt to get everything from gifts to groceries delivered same day, you have more time for the things you want to do. To not do things so that you can do other things, visit Shipt.com slash holiday. That's S-H-I-P-T dot com slash holiday.